And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel. Praise to you, Lord. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told them about this child. All who heard were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When eight days were complete for a circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. For those who came in late and missed the announcement, I, I didn't get mass backwards or something. We were tolling the bell for Pope Benedict. 95 years, 95 strophes on the bell. Don Ceretti reminded me last night that once upon a time there was a tech out at Defiance and two of the kids, being squirrely, didn't go to bed when they were supposed to, got up and decided to ring the bell of the church in the little town of Defiance and the whole village came out because they thought the Pope had died in the middle of the night. <laughs> Oscar Wilde tells a, a beautiful little fairy tale and it's pretty short, it, it's worth checking out in its entirety. But I'm going to give you the Cliffs Notes today. It's the story of the selfish giant. And, and here's what happened. was once upon a time, there was a giant. And the giant had a garden around his house. And it was a beautiful garden, lush and green, full of trees that blossomed and bore great fruit in the autumn. The giant went on a journey to visit another giant, actually an ogre, who for some reason is in Cornwall. So sorry if we have any Cornish people here. So he goes to see his friend the ogre in Cornwall, and while he's there, uh, the children of the nearby village come and take over his garden. They make it into a playground, and he's gone for a really long time, several years. So when he comes back, he finds that his garden has been turned into a playground by the kids, and he's incensed. So he throws all the children out of the garden, and he builds a great high wall and posts a sign on the outside that says, no trespassing. Well, he was so severe that it wasn't only the children he wound up chasing out of the garden, but the flowers and the plants, too. The trees all went bare. Winter came that year, and it never left. So spring arrived for the surrounding areas, but it never came to the giant's garden. One solitary flower poked his head up through the soil, saw the sign, and ducked right back under. 
It stayed winter that way for years and years and years inside the giant's garden until, until one day he woke up and he heard a song, he heard music, and he looked out the window and he saw there was a bird singing in the tree which had come back to blossom. And then he saw that a hole had fallen in the wall and the children had crawled back through and the children were climbing the trees. And everywhere the children climbed the trees, the trees came back to life. Everywhere that is, except the very back corner, the far corner of the garden, there was one little boy trying desperately to get up into a tree, but he was too small. And that tree was still covered in frost and the ground still cloaked in snow. So the giant was moved with pity for the little boy. And he burst out the door of his house, which scared all of the other children right over the wall and out of the garden. But he paid them no mind. He went straight to the little boy and lifted him up. And the little boy turned in the giant's hands and put his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the giant set him up high in the tree, and the tree immediately came to life. The giant then turned back to the other children behind the wall, and he said, Children, come. From now on, this will be your playground, from now and forever. And so the children came, and they played with the giant all day long. When the day came to a close, he realized that the little boy he'd set up in the tree had disappeared. And so he said to the other kids, where was the little boy I put up in the tree? And they said, we don't know him. We've never seen him before. And he said, you find him. Tell him to come back. Well, he never did. He never did. But every day after school would let out, the children would return to the giant's garden and play. And every Sunday, families would come and picnic underneath the fruit trees, and couples would stroll as they were courting. And this went on for years and years and years, and the, the normal cycle of seasons returned to the giant's garden until, until one day in the winter, he didn't dislike winter any longer. He understood it was simply the spring fallen asleep and the flowers resting so that they could bud the brighter later. He looked out of his window, and he could see the little boy back over, standing beneath his tree, his heart was charged, so he ran back out that door and straight to the furthest corner of the garden, just like he had the first time. And as he came upon the boy, hoping to take him in his arms, he stopped short, and his face flushed in anger, and he cried out, Who hurt you? And the boy smiled, and the giant said again, Tell me who hurt you, and I'll do the same to them. Because he could see in the boy's hands, and in his bare feet, the marks of nails. And the giant fell to his knees. The boy said, no, hurt no one. These are the wounds of love. And the giant whispered, who are you? And the boy smiled and said, once, you let me play in your garden. Now I take you home to mine. When the children let out school that afternoon, they returned to the garden to play, and they found the giant dead beneath the tree, covered in white blossoms. And they buried him there. You can see it still. They left a marker to our unselfish. I tell that story today because the giant only came to know who he was in light of the child, in light of 
Jesus. The giant only came to know who he was in light of Jesus. And today, we keep the memory of Mary as the mother of God precisely because she only came to know who she was in light of the person of the Lord Jesus. The hat, right, we wear, it's like certain other clothing that some of you might own, it's designed to be worn for the purpose of taking off. It is. It sends a signal, right? Because we take it off at the name of the Lord Jesus. And you notice during the Mass, even when I'm not wearing the hat, the deacon and the priest at least, and the people are all invited to, right? Bow your head at the name of the Lord Jesus. You want to get over taking the Lord's name in vain? Take it on purpose and bow your head every time you hear the name of the Lord Jesus. You want to really shame somebody for using the Lord's name in vain? When your kid cusses, don't put soap in his mouth. Just bob your head. And it's eventually going to get so annoying seeing mom bob her head that the kid will knock it off just to get you to stop. Either that or it'll become kind of absurd and you'll look like you have Tourette's. So, so the idea here is this. Today's feast, Mary, the mother of God, is really the feast of the circumcision of the Lord. They changed the title back in the 60s. I don't know why. I have ideas, but they're probably not very edifying. I think fundamentally, um, the, the, the bishops were concerned that you would all be real squeamish about the idea of Jesus being circumcised because it would mean that he had the sort of bits that could be circumcised. Well, he did, and he was, and that's kind of the point. But the reason it's kept on this day, the octave day of Christmas, the eighth day after the birth, is because that's the day that a baby boy would have been circumcised. And the reason this feast is tied to the Blessed Mother is because her motherhood, well, it depends on him, right? Those of you that are mothers, what makes you a mom? Your kids. And these kind of peak moments in the life of a child are likewise peak moments in the life of parents, but especially of mothers. You think about the pride and the joy and the affection and all the feels, right? On the day they were baptized, and on the day of their first communion, and on the day of their confirmation. You think about the great mix of feelings that comes on the day of their wedding or their ordination. Because there's pride mixed with a little sorrow. They're going to do a different thing now. They're still my kid, but they're off on their own. And Mary eventually comes to know the very same. Lord, your mother and your brothers are outside. Mary's maternity depends entirely on Jesus. She's not a mother without him. Now, it's become, and this is important, there are, of course, plenty of mothering types that don't have children of their own, and there are plenty of mothers that that mother people besides their own children. I found myself at a Christmas party on Friday evening with the, the mother of my best buddy growing up and, and, and sort of the surge of memories that came back from childhood. And this woman really was, importantly, a mother to me, but she wasn't my mother. There's only one person who gets that honor, right? Every year on Father's Day, people in a sort of uh, paroxysm of piety decide to give me cards or gifts. And this is fine. I'm not saying don't do things for Father's Day. But I'll be very honest and vulnerable here for a minute. It always hurts a little bit. That might be counterintuitive. But the reason it hurts 
is because shock and awe here, I'm not a daddy. I have no children. Not naturally. And that's what that day is used for. So I know that when people do it, what they're trying to say is, thank you for being my father and God. Thank you for helping me through a tough time. Thank you for not running the parish into the ground or whatever the thing is. But, but, but it's like there's, there's a kind of a disconnect, right? Well, here we have the same kind of thing going on. So we're, we're recognizing Mary's maternity, her motherhood of Jesus, mm-hmm. but also her motherhood of us. The difference is that is not an analogy. So when you, when you call me father, it's a sort of a metaphor, father and God. But when we call her mother, it's real. And it's real, you got it? Because of her son. Because if we come to understand ourselves most fully in light of him, just as she did, he's really our kin. He's really our brother. Not metaphorically, not analogously. God took flesh and became a real human being, just like you and me. On a day like today, with diaper rash and uh, an uncomfortable little wound up front. Just like you and me. And because of that, those to whom he is related are really ours. Mary really is our mother in God because she is the mother of our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ. St. Anne and St. Joachim are really our, our grandparents in God because they really were her parents and she really is God's mama. And she serves as the prayer said, not only as mother of God, but mother of the church, that is us. So we keep her festival, we remember her feast day, and we do it on this day that is so singular in the life of Jesus, because today he begins to reveal who he really is. Today, for the first time, he bled for you. Today, for the first time, he bled for you. And while this might make us all a little bit squeamish, I, I, I need to say this because I think the, the, the meaning gets obscured here. Why circumcision? Of all the things God could have revealed to Abraham to mark his people, why circumcision? Why a cut there? Well, because it's where our babies come from. It is intimate on purpose. Our progeny comes from there so that everyone who would come, Abraham has to circumcise himself as an old man, which I can't even imagine. But, but, but Abraham circumcises himself, but then ever afterwards, somebody else is the one who does the cut, right? And that's important because all of those who then come from Abraham, literally, his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren are all marked in the same place, in the same way, and their children come from that same space. Now, the mark of circumcision has been removed for us. I mean, some of us happen to be circumcised. That's a different story, right? But that mark now is not external because we don't come to be children of God by natural generation. It's on the inside. This is why St. Paul tells us to circumcise our hearts. He's not talking cardiology here. He's talking soul surgery. He wants our hearts to be marked as kin of God. And for us, that happens in the new circumcision of baptism, which is why I said, remember, mothers, the day your children were baptized. 
That's when all this happens for us now. That's the day that we become kin with God. These mysteries are all tied together. Next week, we'll have the Epiphany, which also celebrates the Lord's own baptism. That is his manifestation. Jesus showing us who he really is so that we might know who we really are. We, all of us together, and me, personally and individually. The reason this matters on New Year's Day, of all days, is because the natural cycles of the year allow, periodically, for moments to reboot the system. And today is as good a time as any. Make resolutions, promises to yourself about what's going to be different this year, and make this year different than any year before. Let this be the day you look out the window of the winter of your life and hear the bird song. And see the child aching to climb the tree. Define yourself in relationship to the child, the babe in the manger and the man on the tree, and you will not go wrong. Whatever problems come your way will be solvable, tolerable, and ultimately redeemable, both for yourself and for somebody else. And come to the altar today full of hope, full of hope, full of energy and excitement and enthusiasm and intention for the coming year. Because if this year is to be better than any you've had before, it depends entirely on him. In the crib and on the cross and in communion.